right, welcome back. It's the Hacks Drinkers Podcast, it's episode number 12. I'm Julian, I'm joined by Eric. Hey, all you cool cats and kittens. Oak. Uh, hi. And Chev. Yep. And we are a longtime playgroup during the multiverse in the hopes of leveling up both our game and yours. Oak, I gotta say, every time I say your name, you look completely like, you know, a deer in the headlights. Like, you're like, wait a minute, what? We, we were talking? We're doing a podcast here? What's going on? <laughs> Is it my turn? One of these days, uh, one of these days, you'll, you'll come in perfectly on cue and you'll be like, what's good? But, uh, all right. Yeah, so, um... We're back, and uh, today's topic is actually brought to you by our very generous patron, Eric. So, Eric, take it away. I wanted to talk about something that probably got a lot of people into the Commander format, everyone in this playgroup included, which is the Commander Precons. Uh, these were hugely influential for us, and for a lot of people have really functioned as this perfect gateway into EDH. They're low power, but they're very thematic, they're very interesting, and a lot of the times they're pretty well designed, getting much better recently, whereas initially they had three separate commanders and it was just three decks in one box and it was a disaster. I really wanted to hone in on sort of the more recent ideas that they've been doing, where, you know, they had sort of the big tribal push. And their most recent theme was that everything was on a Coria, and that that was sort of the idea of these planar decks. Well, what if there were planar commander decks, but it were creatures from different planes fighting each other? and sort of these generals from across the multiverse coming together and battling it out with creatures and abilities and spells from their home plane. So today we'll be talking about planar commander decks, uh, designed around the idea and power level ideally of precons. So the rules for this are all cards must be from sets on the plane or creatures that are specifically from the plane uh, originally. So this can include non-creature spells that specifically reference events occurring on a plane. Uh, additionally, if you were to choose, I don't know, like Kamigawa or something, uh, you could choose Toshiro Umizawa. Even though he's not there, he's a Kamigawa native, we're letting him in. One problem that might immediately occur to you is mana bases. They're gonna look ugly. <laughs> uh, so we added a couple deck building restrictions and allowances. So no matter what plane you picked, shocks, fetches, dual lands are all banned. Uh, however, everyone does get access to Commander Sphere, Arcane Signet, Command Tower, all of the Talismans, and any non-rare lands outside of your set. We did also specifically ban the Plane of Dominaria. There's simply too much going on there. So, without further ado, gentlemen, what planes did you select? I picked Mirrodin. My whole philosophy here in, in terms of deck building was... Initially, because we were just high off of Kaldheim, I was like, oh, well, what if I just did a Kaldheim deck? I was like, oh, I don't know if there's enough really to uh, pull from there. Though after playing Standard for a bit, I can tell you that there is a lot of powerful cards. And I probably could have just played that one, uh, you know, that Rainbow Bridge uh, lady and then just played all the best cards. And that would have been, like, pretty reasonable. But um, I was looking for all the planes that had returns to, basically. So obviously, like Ravnica, Zendikar, Innistrad. These are all planes that have had a lot of sets, so you are, have a lot of cards to pick from. You can really kind of flesh that out. Um, but the one that I had the least experience with was Mirrodin, so I wanted to check out Mirrodin, and I also thought that since the design philosophy and also the kind of power level of those cards was a little bit different, and I, want, I wanted to 
get out of my comfort zone. So that's that's mostly why I picked Mirrodin. Also, I just figured there's some some pretty uh, ubiquitous cards that uh, come with Mirrodin, things like Wayfarer's Bobble and Lightning Greaves. So I knew that I would have like a nice base as well as a lot of good artifact fixing since I knew the mana bases were going to be ugly. So you kind of picked your plane around, you know, what, what the plane provided? Yes and no. Initially, I was like, I just want something that's going to give me a lot of options. So that means more sets. And then also something that I wasn't super familiar with. And Mirrodin seemed the most appealing to me because I honestly, I feel kind of tired out with something like Zendikar Ravnica. I feel like we've seen it enough and I never was a huge fan of uh, Innistrad. The next part, obviously, is like picking your legend. Because mm -hmm. if you go to a plane that's super powered up, but it only has one legend and it's like the mono white legend, like your deck is still probably going to be trash, right? So I want, I was hoping that I could uh, have colors available to me. So like Eric was saying, if there is a creature that's not specifically from a set like that, but we know they're from that plane, you can use them. So immediately I was like, Atraxa, um, yes, I, I can hear the boos from through the internet and through the future. Um, and from this voice call. Exactly, yes. <laughs> but I knew that at least I had access to Atraxa and even if I wasn't really doing anything broken, I still would have enough colors that I could pull a lot of cards from. And then I started brewing, and that's another topic. What about you, Jeff? So kind of from a different standpoint, I was really trying to pick a place that I felt had a really cool thematic feel. Um, while Ravnica and Zendikar, we've been to a few times at this point, and they probably have a larger card pool to pick from. I was really trying to pick something I personally had a distinct connection to because like if I were looking at a, a, a long line of commander precons all set on different planes, which one uh, would I go for first? Big thematic wins and and world building, which I thought uh, my eventual pick of Kaladesh had in spades. So I was remembering you know how cool it was to open that just this unique um, setting where since Mirrodin we hadn't seen another sort of technology based plane. And that really led to me wanting to, even though it only had one big set and one small set, it made me want to try and build something from there and come up with something that really embodies those ideals of that technology and that unique setting and everything else. So while Julian went for a very practical choice in his plane and Chev went for a very thematic choice, I went for a mechanical choice. Ultimately, what I chose is the plane Fiora. Which, if you don't, if that doesn't ring any bells, um, I totally understand because I didn't know the plane where the conspiracy sets took place either uh, before I looked into this. It's not really referenced on a lot of cards. From a mechanical perspective, some of my favorite mechanics in all of Magic, and especially uh, pertaining to EDH, um, those, the four, I mean, that just instantly come to mind are Dethrone, Melee, Goad, and, of course, the Monarchy. Uh, the Monarchy in particular is what I decided to base this deck around, and, of course, with that in mind, of course, I had to go with Queen Marchesa as my commander. Marchesa isn't the only big name, though, on this plane. There was a bunch of other really cool faces that I actually didn't know come from this plane. Uh, for example, Grenzo, uh, Brego, Sidri, and Doretti. They... Helm of my very first uh, commander set ever. And then, uh, finally, just as a little extra bonus, uh, I knew Kaya. Well, she was from this set, but also, more importantly, from this plane. And she's featured in the most recent set, Kaldheim. So, I thought I might be able to sneak a few new, uh, cool, like, good flavor win cards in there as well. 
That was your first mistake, Oakley. Putting good cards in your deck. <laughs> There's the problem. And let me tell you the solution to that problem. And it's picking Kamigawa as your plane. I have very few good cards. Um, but I love them all with my entire heart. So, to no one's surprise, I picked Kamigawa. It's beautiful thematically, and it made me really happy to sort of go back through and try and just ram jam together a functioning deck out of that disaster of a set. The first hurdle I had to get over was Kamigawa is from a point in time where multicolored cards, especially getting up into like three or four color, really didn't exist. Like, that was just not an option. So... I actually had to take a little hop, skip, and a jump into the Dragon Tribal Commander Precon to get Okagachi, who is sort of the king of the spirits. And from there, I sort of built this really cool thematic deck where I ignored a lot of the samurai and the ninja on the plane, which probably would have given me more powerful cards. But who cares? So yeah, I built a deck really themed around spirits and around sort of this spirit army Okagachi had summoned. I just love the deck and I'm really excited about it. So for our next topic, uh, we're actually going to be talking about thematic wins that you sort of got to put in there. They'd be the cards featured on the back of your deck box where it's like, oh, like this, I get what this deck does now that you're showing me these things. And I think Chev has a really good sequence just bop, bop, bop lined up. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not sure these are the the cards that you would would make you pick the deck. I'm sure those would be probably the Gear Hulks or or something of um, actual importance. But the benefit of only having two sets to pick from for Kaladesh is you have all the story beats in your deck because you can't afford not to. Um, for those who are unfamiliar, uh, the story on Kaladesh is there's a big fair where people are bringing their cool inventions, and this is how they brought in all of the the masterpiece uh, artifacts in as like thematic. And then the authoritative government confiscates all of them and is like, yeah, now we have all the cool stuff. And Tezzeret's there too, doing shenanigans for Nico Bolas, which leads to Chandra's parents and Chandra leading a revolution um, and overthrowing the government. And in, in this singular deck, we have Inventor's Fair, which goes back to that initial idea of everyone kind of trading their stuff. And then you have Confiscation Coup, which I thought would be a bigger effect on a card since it's such a huge moment in the story. But it is, you know, related to the energy themes of the set. I think you get some amount of energy and then take control of a permanent equal to a certain amount of energy you pay. Uh, and I was hoping that that card, among a few others, would allow me to kind of take the stuff from better decks and allow me to utilize them. Especially once I found out Julian was pulling Mirrodin, the larger artifact set, I could just take the good stuff from there and make a better artifact deck. And, and as opposed to kind of focusing on, we do have the other story beats of like the rebels fighting back. But what I think really embodies the soul of this deck is a sorcery called Release the Gremlins. Um, you pay X amount of mana, um, I think it's 2X and red to destroy X target artifacts and create X 2-2 gremlins. And it kind of has this flavor of a snap, you know, uh, all the bad guys took all of our cool stuff and they're using it against us. What do we do? Well, we release these weird hairless elephants that are going to eat the power from all these artifacts, and uh, that'll be the way to victory. I think thematically, that's one of my favorite cards of Kaladesh. You know, you have all these cool uh, artifacts, but at the end of the day, you smash them and make hairless elephants. 
Yeah, I guess my initial statement was sort of flawed. These aren't going to be the cards that are advertised to you on the back of the deck <laughs> box, where they're like, oh, I'll buy it for these. These are going to be in like the little pamphlet that comes inside, where it's like, did you know that this is the story behind exactly. this deck? And you'll be like, shut up, gremlins. <laughs> <laughs> I'll go through mine next. Uh, I already named two of these guys. They're big names from of uh, two goblins from this plane. Uh, first of all, Duretti, of course. Leader of my first ever commander deck. He's from Fiora. And even though there's not as many artifact synergies to abuse in this deck, um, I still had to, of course, include him. Grenzo, Havoc Razor, um, is a card that I've really wanted to make work in a lot of different decks. Just a really cool guy, and honestly, my uh, more preferred iteration of Grenzo. Connect, and you get to goad, or you get to draw some of your opponent's cards, essentially. And, of course, the art on it is awesome. You've got Grenzo uh, wreaking havoc, just looting a place, which is just awesome. Um, so the third card I wanted to mention is Council's Judgment. A little nice to see uh, Will of the Council, another really cool mechanic, and probably the less powerful version of Council's Dilemma, um, a, which is a mechanic that's obviously suited for you know more multiplayer-oriented uh, formats like EDH. Eric, I was looking at your list, and I was really surprised uh, not to see Final Judgment on that list. Um, it's just crazy. Like, the, the art on that is, like, the expression on uh, Okagachi's face and just, like, the scale <laughs> of, you know, everything that's happening. Uh, I was surprised. Uh, I want to hear about yours. Yeah. Um, I didn't end up tossing Final Judgment on there. Uh, I wanted to keep the list short, and I really wanted to talk about two creatures that I thought were really important. So, in my mind... Okagachi, he's putting together this army, he's going, he's going to battle these other planes, he's done dealing with the samurai, he's over that trash, opens up his phone, who's at the top of his contacts list, who's the big boys, who's going to bring the heat, and it's clearly Iname as one, and Yomiji who bars the way. Iname as one is, if you are unfamiliar, 12 mana, uh, 2 black, 2 green, and 8. If you cast him from your hand... Tutor a spirit from your deck onto the battlefield, and if he dies, can exile him to get a spirit from the graveyard back into play. I've wanted to play with this card for a long time, whether it's to make like a four-star like EDH deck or just to put it in something, but I've never found the space, and he's a terrible commander, so I was really happy to get to use him here, and I think he fits perfectly in this army of the spirits deck. And then Yomiji, who bars the way, was a huge part of the actual, like, what happened on Kamigawa, where there was essentially just this endless war between the spirits and humans, because whenever anyone died, Yomiji would just essentially turn them back and send them back into the war and revive them. So there's some great flavor text on Yomiji, where it's this samurai being like, I finally died, I'm finally free of this war, I've escaped. And the card is just Yomiji pointing him back into the battlefield. And he's just like, now I gotta go back. <laughs> and uh, maybe where I should have put Final Judgment, I instead put the 11 shrines because they're awesome. The five Hondens are shrines where the Myoin rest and like where these super powerful spirits are. So that's something I really wanted to bring in thematically because I can't, can't just put all the Myoins in. Some of them are MLD. Some of them are just bad. Some of them are MLD and bad, namely <laughs> the one that's MLD. And then the other six shrines look pretty Japanese. I talked it over with the boys. We're comfortable agreeing that there can be six more shrines on the Japan plane. 
It's an 11 shrine deck. You know, it's no one's going to be mad. Speaking of things we aren't mad about, let's talk about Julian's thematic picks. You sound a little mad. No, we're, we're mad about the power picks, not the thematic. All right, all right. Well, let me, let me explain my deck because I realized that I just didn't say who my commander was or what my deck did. It is a Jorkadine the Prevailer deck, so it's a Boros Attacky Attacky Equipment deck because Mirrodin was the first set to have equipment. And uh, Jorkadine is from the second Mirrodin block, which is when Phyrexia takes over. And the story behind that is that he was one of the leaders of the Rebel Alliance, or whatever you want to call them, the the Resistance, basically. You know, the Mirrodin people who were fighting against Phyrexia taking over. There, there were Rebels across all the different uh, colors of mana, but the biggest ones were the white and red aligned areas because they had Elspeth as well as Koth, who were the two main Planeswalkers in there. And then also, the red mana was where the goblins were, of course, surprise, surprise. Uh, and they also had Urbrask, who was my first flavor pick, because Urbrask is actually a Phyrexian Praetor. But unlike all of the other uh, Praetors who were bad, naughty people, uh, Urbrask was like, nah, I'm actually like, this is kind of cool. Like, me and the goblins are homies. We're over here in the Great Forge just smelting stuff and, you know, having a good time and throwing parties and stuff. Um, so he actually helped our uh, scrappy heroes fight back uh, against the uh, Praetors and his ability making all of our creatures have haste and all of our opponent's creatures come in tapped. Uh, it re really reminds me of sort of like a guerrilla warfare kind of thing, you know, all, running back to like almost the original Star Wars, like, you know, the, the Rebel Alliance. That's just like what it reminds me of. So I love that Urbrask is in the deck. Uh, the second one is Trash for Treasure, which I know is an Oak favorite back from his Dreddy days. The art on this is phenomenal. It's a goblin just like with this bewildered yet also wondrous look in his eyes just holding up this piece of trash but it's also just perfect with everything that Mirrodin wants to do especially that red that red part you know the goblins they kind of just like take all these random things that everyone else from Mirrodin because it's a plane of metal you know uh, is throwing out and then they melt it down in the forge and they come up with all these uh, crazy contraptions it's exactly what the plane wants to do and it's also just a really I think it's just a good card in commander too and then the last pick is just because I get to play these is the artifact lands. This is thematic because this is literally the plane itself. Mirrodin, it, they were like, what if we just had a plane and it was entirely synthetic? It was all made of metal. Uh, so that's what these are. And the artifact lands are, of course, notorious in older formats because of things like affinity and such. But the fact that, uh, you know, my commander has metalcraft, the fact that I get to play Darksteel Citadel, Ancient Den, um, and Great Furnace is just, we're representing the plane. We, we brought the plane itself uh, to the battlefield, so pretty hyped to play those cards thematically um yeah so as julian mentioned we're going to be moving on to power picks next these are the actual cards that are going to be on the back of the box or like highlighted up in the corner of like hey buy this product you also get cards that are worth money or like do things oh yeah this is like when we get the buyouts because the investors are like oh they reprinted these all right great we'll take 25 cases <laughs> yeah and then the casuals are like, no, why is it $70? <laughs> Julian, uh, what, why might your box be $70? Just out of curiosity, what uh, what might drive up the price there? All right, so Mirrodin is a, it's kind of got this duality, right? Because there's some notorious things like the artifact lands. They really broke standard, but they're not like super powerful in commander. And there's also a lot of trash uh, in Mirrodin because it's one of those older sets, right? So, you know, like I'm sure Eric has, uh, you know, seen, there's a lot of six mana three threes with very niche abilities, you know, uh, things like that. Um, I tried to not put those in my deck. Um, I tried to just get the most on rate uh, creatures that I could because all of my power comes in the equipments. Like I said, uh, this these were the two main quote-unquote equipment sense and also where equipment was introduced so of course wizards try something out for the first time 
don't exactly know where it's going to land. Turns out, some of them are busted. Uh, all of the swords. Uh, Sword of Fire and Ice, Sword of Feast and Famine. These are just very powerful. I just want to throw in there, in one game, there were three or four Swords of Fire and Ice on the battlefield. I think we'll talk about that at the end because we did we did playtest these decks and uh, we got to see some of my power uh, picks firsthand. The the listeners can assume the game went how they expect <laughs> at this point. Another really good card that I don't think I got to play in the game. It's just kind of a staple in most commander decks. Worm Coil Engine. That's a really great card. Just people know what Worm Coil Engine is. It's a good card, right? Obviously, I'm going to put it in there. You know what I mean? You did play it. Uh, and I did trade Aname as one into a 3-3. Three, three. Okay, I forgot about Incredible. that. I, I was probably more focused on uh, the, I think, like eight different swords that were on the battlefield, which, once again, we'll talk about. Um, the last things I do want to talk about, though, because when I was going through hundreds and hundreds of cards on Scryfall to see what am I actually working with, Mirrodin has a lot of kind of like staple cards. Lightning Greaves, well, that's basically a staple in every commander deck. Darksteel Plate, not as much played, but still very, very good, especially if you're in a... Uh, deck that cares about its commander, which is most of them. Uh, Whisper Silk Cloak, but also Wayfarer's Bobble, Darksteel Ingot, uh, Gilded Lotus. These are all just very good mana fixing slash rocks that basically every deck would be happy to play. So the fact that I got them is uh, pretty sick. Eric, uh, what about you? I feel like you might be on the other end of the uh, power pick spectrum. Yeah, so I had a couple things that I was very happy to see in there. Namely, as I was putting my 12 mana spirit into my 6 mana commander deck... And then, you know what, I tossed in the other two six-mana spirits that add up to make the 12-mana spirit. I was thinking a lot about my mana curve, and then I was like, oh, wait a second. Heartbeat of Spring exists, and it's actually printed originally on Kamigawa. Uh, Heartbeat of Spring is a three-mana mana doubler uh, for lands that hits all players at the table. And in the, the game with four swords, part of the problem as to why everyone had so many resources was because Heartbeat of Spring came down on turn three. So everyone had doubled mana for the duration of that game, which was awesome. No, but it was I not. But I do regret it a little bit. I don't regret a single bit. Like, when Eric put that down, I was like, oh, this, is, this isn't this is how this should go. And then next turn, I was like, oh, no, I'm good with this. I was looking at my hand. I was like, yeah, I can play that and that and that. There are so few cards with such beautiful art that I now hate so much. <laughs> I remember when Heartbeat of Spring was reprinted in, like, Double Masters or something this year, I was like, that is just a beautiful, it's like a waterfall and like a beautiful it's like a little forest. Stream. I was like, maybe I'll play that in one of my decks. No, <laughs> never. I will never go near that card. I want to own one. I want to look at it and I will never touch it. It is the forbidden fruit. I want to play out of that card. That would I would love to play out of that card. Uh, mm -hmm. The follow-up to that, added in further revisions of the deck, uh, is Kataki Wars Wage. I, th I think that people need to learn that there's a price for owning all of these swords. We need to implement a tax. Someone's got someone's to be paying the bills, keeping the lights on. It's Japanese sword confiscation. Eric, it's... The, uh, the tax doesn't matter when all my land tap for double. <laughs> and then my final uh, pick is actually a... It's not a loophole, but it's someone who was never printed on Kamigawa, but they are a Kamigawa native. It's Tamiyo the Moon Sage. Again, you look at it and the deck and you're like, man, that mana curve is not healthy. And so... You see Tamiyo the Moon Sage, and you're like, hey, look, her plus, her plus ability, that's some defense. You can reduce the incoming attacks, start building up this Planeswalker, that's great. Minus can draw cards. Uh, there's only, I think, one other card in the deck that says draw a card, or draw more than one card, so fine with that. And then uh, her ult means everything's free, including 
your 12 mana spirit. <laughs> Chad, you, your, your top end was also where we saw a lot of your power as opposed to, you know, Julian's powers a little lower to the ground. Yeah, so, I mean, going back to the analogy of you're seeing all these decks on a shelf, the reason you're going to pick up the Kaladesh deck is you've got Combustible Gear Hulk, who is a, a menace, uh, Torrential Gear Hulk, who recurs, of course, instance, and then Walking Ballista, which is, you know, put a bunch of 1-1 counters on it and ping people. So none of these are inherently, like like all the precons, none of the cards that end up being worth a, a shit ton of money are broken in that context, but every other context. So those are the cards that I'm going to be trying to go for every time, especially with the fact they're all artifacts, and I also have access to War of Invention, the one tutor that allows you to search up an artifact, uh, has Convoke for Artifacts, which was called Improvise, um, and then put it directly onto the battlefield, which is pretty sweet. Um, but, but those are the things that you're kind of like hoping to get, especially with, you know, the amount of draw in these sort of set limited things. Combustible Gear Hulk's really good for that. And since this deck had to take a more, um, control-y approach, Torrential Gear Hulk is really good at bringing back those control spells that you needed. Otherwise, I, I was looking at the prices of the cards, you know, the, the absolute power and Retrofitter Foundry, clearly a Kaladesh card. It's, it's kind of like a, a... One of those four ability artifacts like Staff of Dominion. Domination. Domination. Yeah. Or, uh, or trading, trading post. post. Jinx. Where you get to untap a bunch of stuff, create some servos, create four four constructs. I have no idea why it's $15. But it is, and it's in this deck. Uh, so I was kind of hoping to draw it and see if it was worth anything. Can I enlighten you for a sec? Enlighten me. One, it was only printed in that one. It was a rare in that one uh, commander product, right? Also played in Legacy. Played in like, ooh, yeah. that's a, yeah, that's spicy. Yeah, good luck finding a copy of Chev's deck on the <laughs> shelf. <laughs> so this is the one that has the the equivalent of a true name nemesis buying out there, even though, well, no, I mean, considering Julian's has 11 swords in it, um, it's probably not the <laughs> the most expensive one out there. But yeah, so you're going to come here for the Gear Hulks and you're going to stay for the um, Retrofitter Foundry. Kinky. Yeah, so my power picks were pretty straightforward. Um, honestly, none of them were too much of a flavor win, except for one. Uh, I gotta say, Scourge of the Throne, which I know is a name <laughs> that all these guys know very well, because I've played it in so many decks. It's it Really, that's all in the name. It's an amazing card, and it facilitates the exact type of gameplay I like to see, which is where, like, you don't necessarily go for, like, one person and just pin them down for the game and knock them out early, and then everyone else finishes for the next, like, hour or whatever. It's like, alright, we're gonna attack the guy with the most life. Because that's the most justified response or action at any given point. Or something like that. So you do that, and you get to have a nice little extra combat step. You know, nothing nothing major. Nothing major. No <laughs> big deal. <laughs> Casual. Anyways, Ghostly Prison. It's a very silly card. And my excuse for running it is that I need to protect my crown as the monarch. I, I've got all these effects that want me to stay the monarch. I've got, like... No draw spells whatsoever in the deck. I'm just, like, banking on drawing that extra monarchy card at the end. So, I gotta protect myself. And this, unfortunately, didn't help as much with the Heartbeat of Spring Out, since it was just, like, tap one mana and <laughs> we're sending it. Still, it's 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 nice to get people who sort of, like, play everything out in their first main phase, and then they're like, alright, I'm swinging it. Oh, and then it's like, you gotta pay the toll. Sorry. Finally... Swords to Plowshares. Uh, I didn't realize this card was printed in the original Conspiracy set until I sort of went digging, like Julian said, through Scryfall. 
what can I say about this card? It's, you know, White's last bastion of hope in a game where White has been pushed to the side and neglected. It's one mana, it's an instant speed, put that thing back where it came from or so help me, and here's a little bit of life. Bum, bum, bum. <laughs> Gets rid of it for the whole game, that thing's not coming back, so I had to include that. You know, Oak, I... As, as much as we're memeing on me having a bunch of busted cards, which I, I do, I, I want to say that pound for pound, your plane had the most. Like, you were telling us about some of the cards that you had, and you were like, oh, Swords of Plowshares, casually, Ghost of Plusion, casually. Like, you have Phyrexian Arena. You've got, like, all your Planeswalkers are good, too. I, I think that, like, on average, yours has the most bangers, whereas mine is just, like, trash or or treasure if i can choose the most uh on theme pun i wouldn't say that entirely like looking at both of these decks from the the lower power level spectrum um i was definitely more afraid of julian's than oakley's for its synergy and ability to ramp and having all the things at the top end and having six sets to pick from but i was especially worried about the things that oak was able to pull with dethrone and monarchy and all of those sort of shenanigans that leads to because you know something we kind of haven't brought up so far is fiora was built for a multiplayer setting so a lot of these things that you know transfer well to commander like it's built for that sort of playground um and you know i i even thought about doing uh what is it valor's reach of battle bond if it had gotten more than a single set for that exact reason but there's definitely more to oak's deck than we saw in the one game we were able to play with these uh builds unfortunately Phyrexian Arena, it's kind of in the name, didn't really take place on Fiora, so I couldn't run it, and I didn't. So, unfortunately, I did have to miss out on a lot of those, like, good cards, since the Conspiracy sets almost function kind of like core sets, in that they included a lot of other spells from, like, different planes, not just stuff that took place on fiora right in that awkward time when corsets weren't really coming out so they needed these extra sets to reprint things that might have gotten a little crazy in price yes we, we let you have the shrek though that's true you got to keep the shrek that's true <laughs> i mean um, can't do me like that can't, can't just not let me <laughs> yeah no 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 one can separate you and shrek <laughs> uh, how do you guys think the format came together do you think that this is something that, you know, could actually be done? Even if we didn't accomplish it, Wizards has the ability to print new cards, print new cards on Kamigawa. Wizards should and can print new cards on the plane of Kamigawa. Um, no, but actually, like, is this something that you could see uh, uh, happening? Or is this, uh, how do you think this went as like a design a pre-con sort of style event? I think the answer is definitely yes. Like, we're... we're We've already, you know, from Wizards, they've talked about we're going to do four commander decks a year now, and they're all going to have some sort of centralized theme. And so, you know, we, we did Planeswalkers in C18, we did random themes in C19 that were all, you know, like Landfall, uh, freaking Fortel, not not Fortel, uh, uh, Flashback. Cycling. Your example really went off the ra rails there, Chev, if, when you don't know what <laughs> yeah. the thing is. <laughs> Um, and, and then, you know, in C20, it was Ikoria. So like, I, I think, you know, we, we could end up at a set, a place, and I really hope we do where pre-cons are one from each of four planes, even bring back plane chase, like bring back a couple of those cards as like the, the buy a box promo and you get a plane card to play with your friends. That would be kind of sweet. Uh, yes, I'm available for a marketing position at Wizards. And, you know, if, if you're the company that's producing these cards, you can always add new art, new flavor text, boom. Maybe not Phyrexian Arena, but you can throw something else in um, to a given plane. Personally, for, for Kaladesh, 
I think my deck really exemplified the OG pre-con mindset of being in a million directions all at once and having no clear sort of full plan. I, I chose Sahili the Gifted as the commander, and she, you know, gives gives some spell affinity for artifacts, which is super cool. But when there's not that much you can pull out of the top end, and there's not anything else, this isn't Mirrodin, we don't have affinity. Um, so th there's not much else you can bring back with that. And so having all these artifacts doesn't really benefit anything else besides a essentially vanilla 1010 in um, uh, Metalwork Colossus, who is, is good as a threat, but, you know, in the, the game where people have Swords to Plowshares, have, like, a chump blocker. Duplicant. Yeah, duplicant, uh, which is the wow, end that, that my was really Colossus off the top, uh, top of your head example. <laughs> just, just came out of nowhere. So that, that also competes with this theme of everything making 1-1 thopters and stuff, which is like, again, cool, I have an army of 1-1s, but they can't do anything. There's no spells that ramp them. There's no spells that, again, benefit from a large number of artifacts. So you're really stuck with these sort of combating things. And I ended up going leaning heavier into control than I would have liked to, trying to make a protective bubble like we talked about in a, a episode. And so the main thing is, you know, it didn't really come together well, but it came together how I'd want a pre-con to come together in that perfect sense of you don't really know what's going on. You like the commander. It's flashy. And there's a couple of cards in there that are worth a ton of money. You're not fully sure why, but they're fun to play. I think I really matched you on that energy, Chev, of like OG pre-cons, <laughs> yeah. where you're like, man, like whoever built this is really just going through some stuff right now. <laughs> like, They've got a lot of ambition and it just doesn't fit in a hundred cards. Yeah. I want to say more than anything, I really love this idea for a format. I would love to see someone at Wizards official take on it. As I've said before, I know you're all listening. I know Wizards' entire PR, this is like your stand-up as you sit down our, mm -hmm. and listen to our weekly podcast. But actually, I think this is something that I would love to see, like an actual professional design team take, especially with the ability to print new cards. Because, Jeb, I think you and I sort of knowingly and willfully handicapped ourselves by being like, oh, let me pick this dumb plane where, like, I have no cards. Pointed a loaded gun at my own foot. <laughs> I got no cards. Or, like, is how I describe no it. No good cards. But overall, like, I'm, I'm super happy with how the format turned out, super happy with how my deck turned out. And I think that uh, in, after some revision, Chev and I had a chat after uh, our game, and we were like, we can just put more artifact hate in because that's something the designers would do is be like, Oh, like you're sitting down to play with your friends. They got this pre-con. Here's just ten destroy target artifact cards that we jammed in this deck. And you're like, sick. But yeah, I'm really excited about the format. And I think this is something I'd love to do again. Here's an idea I just had. There's four like mainline sets that come out a year. Okay, obviously there's like supplemental ones. But four like standard legal ones. <laughs> Maybe if they take right, place right. on four planes, they could just be like, all right, at the end of it, we're getting one deck for each plane as our four commander mm. decks like released for the year that'd be cool that'd be pretty sweet because if the commander precon system continues to exist which i feel like it will and we get our, our four precons in august or so that'd be enough time to see at least three of the sets and then the fourth set like we at least know where it's from and especially this year where it's innistrad which is a plane that's kind of well known in its ideas of what's expected there uh no i think that's a, that's a really cool idea back when they came out in november it would have been even better because then like you would have already seen spoilers and there could be cards essentially from every plane and from every set that year uh mm. a just to print down stuff in terms of money and standard which isn't something that really commonly happens where you get like sort of a second burst of a print run 
And also to be like, hey, here's like an annual summary of everything we did this year and all the planes we visited. Yeah, it'd be cool. I touched on this a second ago, but um, I think that I probably wouldn't have chosen this plane if I had realized that uh, there wasn't as much like thematic support for it. Um, again, like I mentioned earlier, I really designed this mechanically, and there are just better ways to kind of go about that. For example, all the monarchy support that just came out in Commander Legends, every single court, um, Ember Wild Captain, you know, cards like that, you know, um, like if, if Wizards could print like equivalents of that in the, they could just add support for, it, it, to fill in those cracks that like sort of fell through, but just add like a more thematic angle to it. I, I don't think it'd be hard to just like make new cards with that, but to try and pull from, uh, a former set with this in mind was a bit more difficult, but I, again, no, like I said, I do, I do think it could work and it would be awesome. Honestly, it'd be sweet. Julian, bring us home. Country roads, uh, playing Meredith. Country roads. Yeah, I mean, we built the decks. We played the game. I think that in terms of execution from start to finish, we were a solid B plus. And I think that this might be something that we want to polish a bit and revisit and, you know, put some deck lists out, maybe even come up with a, uh, a collection of planes to play with uh, some plane chase as well. I'm taking a Lara next time. That's it. It's over. I have a bunch of planes, idiots. <laughs> I, I think we could tweak a little bit. We could bring it back. And like you said, if Wizards is not listening right now, like we're literally printing them free money with this idea. So that's all I have to say. I, I think it was a, a solid a B plus with A plus potential. And uh, we appreciate you bringing it to the table, Eric. Thank you. I, I look forward to our return. And uh, there will be an article coming out with this podcast that is going to just briefly sort of highlight each deck. It's going to hopefully be formatted in the style of like, here's like the cover art, here's like the back of the box description, and then maybe some, some sort of inside baseball from the designers or from me, who's going to be writing up the article about, hey, here's what you should expect, here's what's going on, and uh, yeah, just sort of a, a write-up of the format in addition to each of the decks. Well, for people who are excited about that, or if we decide to uh, return to this, or they just want to hear the podcast again, uh, they can check us out at hexdrinkers.com. That's where you're going to find all of our articles. Uh, you're going to find this podcast. You're going to find videos, all sorts of stuff. If you just want to hear this podcast and you don't care about anything that we put onto the page, you can check out Anchor, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, yada, 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 wherever you might find a better podcast. Also, if you just want the updates, you want to know right now now and don't want to wait for the production process, you can check us out on Twitter or on Instagram. We're posting over there, chatting magic with you guys, uh, talking smack, Chev, you know, the usual, the average day. Um, and then you also can follow us on Twitch and YouTube at The Hex Drinkers. So if you want to see, uh, you know, video content, gameplay, uh, or you just want to see our faces, that's like super cool. You can check that out too. So uh, thanks for joining the cast again. Episode 12. Looking forward to episode 13. It's been Jules for Eric, Oak, and Chef. We're the Hex Drinkers, and we're signing out.